Section five of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. The Knight with the Hempen Rope. When the two knights and the Lady Una had rested a while in the castle of Giant Pride, they set out again on their journey. Before they parted, Prince Arthur and the Red Cross Knight gave each other beautiful gifts, tokens of love and friendship. Prince Arthur gave a box of adamant, embossed with gold and richly ornamented, in which were enclosed a few drops of a precious liquid of wonderful power, which would immediately heal any wound. In return, the Red Cross Knight gave the Prince a Bible, all written with golden letters, rich and beautiful. Thus they parted, Prince Arthur to go about his own work, and the knight to fight the terrible dragon that was laying waste the kingdom that belonged to Una's father and mother. But she, seeing how thin and ill her champion looked, and knowing that he was still weak and weary, would not hasten forward, nor let him run the chance of any further fighting, until he had recovered his former strength. As they travelled, they presently saw an armed knight galloping toward them. It seemed as though he were flying from a dreaded foe, or some other grisly thing. As he fled, his eyes kept looking backwards, as if the object of his terror were pursuing him, and his horse flew as if it had wings to its feet. When he came nearer, they saw that his head was bare, his hair almost standing on end with fright, and his face very pale. Round his neck was a hempen rope, suiting ill with his glittering armour. The Red Cross Knight rode up to him, but could scarcely prevail upon him to stop. Sir Knight, he said, pray tell us who hath arrayed thee like this, and from whom you are flying, for never I saw warrior in so unseemly a plight. The stranger seemed dazed with fear, and at first answered nothing, but after the gentle knight had spoken to him several times, at last he replied with faltering tongue, and trembling in every limb, I beseech you, Sir Knight, do not stop me, for lo, he comes, he comes fast after me. With that he again tried to run away, but the Red Cross Knight prevented him, and tried to persuade him to say what was the matter. Am I really safe from him who would have forced me to die? asked the stranger. May I tell my luckless story? Fear nothing, said the knight. No danger is near now. Then the stranger told how he and another knight had lately been companions. The name of his friend was Sir Turwin. He was bold and brave, but because everything did not go exactly as he wished, he was not happy. One day, when they were feeling very sad and comfortless, they met a man whose name was Despair. Greeting them in a friendly fashion, Despair soon contrived to find out from them what they were feeling, and then he went on to make the worst of everything. He told them there was no hope that things would get any better, and tried to persuade them to put an end to all further trouble by killing themselves. To Sir Turwin he lent a rusty knife, and to the other knight a rope. Sir Turwin, who was really very unhappy, killed himself at once. But Sir Trevisan, dismayed at the sight, fled fast away, 
with the rope still round his neck, half dead with fear. May you never hear the tempting speeches of despair, he ended. How could idle talking persuade a man to put an end to his life, said the Red Cross Knight. He was ready to despise the danger, and he trusted in his own strength to withstand it. I know, said the stranger, for trial hath lately taught me, nor would I go through the like again for the world's wealth. His cunning, like the sweetest honey, drops into the heart, and all else is forgotten. Before one knows it, all power is secretly stolen, and only weakness remains. O oh, sir, do not wish ever to meet with despair. Truly, said the Red Cross Knight, I shall never rest till I have heard what the traitor has to say for himself. And, Sir Knight, I beg of you as a favour to guide me to his cabin. To do you a favour, I will drive back with you against my will, said Sir Trevison, but not for gold nor anything else will I remain with you when you arrive at the place. I would rather die than see his deadly face again. In the Cave of Despair Sir Trevison and the Red Cross Knight soon came to the place where despair had his dwelling. It was in a hollow cave, far underneath a craggy cliff, dark and dreary. On the top always perched a melancholy owl, shrieking his dismal note, which drove all cheerful birds far away. All around were dead and withered trees, on which no fruit nor leaf ever grew. When they arrived, Sir Trevison would have fled in terror, not daring to go near. But the Red Cross Knight forced him to stay, and soothed his fears. They entered the gloomy cave, where they found a miserable man sitting on the ground, musing sullenly. He had greasy, unkempt locks, and dull and hollow eyes, and his cheeks were thin and shrunken, as if he never got enough to eat. His garment was nothing but rags, all patched and pinned together with thorns. At his side lay the dead body of Sir Turwin, just as Sir Trevison had told. When the Red Cross Knight saw this sad sight, all his courage blazed up in the desire to avenge him, and he said to despair, Wretched man, you are the cause of this man's death. It is only just that you should pay the price of his life with your own. Why speak you so rashly? said despair. Does not justice teach that he should die who does not deserve to live? This man killed himself by his own wish. Is it unjust to give each man his due, or to let him die who hates to live longer, or to let him die in peace who lives here in trouble? If a man travels by a weary wandering way, and comes to a great flood between him and his wished-for home, is it not a gracious act to help him to pass over it? Foolish man, would you not help him to gain rest, who has long dwelt here in woe? Thus spake despair, and he said many beautiful and persuasive words concerning death. And as the Red Cross Knight listened, all his courage and all his anger melted away, and it seemed to him that there would be no sweeter thing in the whole world than to lay down and be at rest. "'What is the good of living?' said despair. "'The longer you live, the more sins you commit. All those great battles that you are so proud of winning— all this strife and bloodshed and revenge, which I praise now, hereafter you will be sorry for. Has not your evil life lasted long enough? He that hath once missed the right way, the farther he goes, the farther he goes wrong. 
"'Go no farther, then. Stray no farther. "'Lie down here and take your rest. "'What has life to make men love it so? "'Fear, sickness, age, loss, labour, sorrow, strife, "'pain, hunger, cold, and fickle fortune. "'All these and a thousand more ills "'make life to be hated rather than loved. "'Wretched man, you indeed have the greatest need of death "'if you will truly judge your own conduct.' Never did knight who dared warlike deeds meet with more luckless adventures. Think of the deep dungeon where you were lately shut up. How often then did you wish for death? Though by good luck you escaped from there, yet death would prevent any further mischance into which you may happen to fall. Then despair went on to speak to the Red Cross knight of all his sins. He pointed out the many wrong things he had done and said he had been so faithless and wicked that there was no hope for him of any mercy or forgiveness. Rather than live longer and add to his sins, it would be better for him to die at once and put an end to it all. The knight was greatly moved by this speech, which pierced his heart like a sword. Too well he knew that it was all true. There came to his conscience such a vivid memory of all his wrongdoings that all his strength melted away, as if a spell had bewitched him. When despair saw him waver and grow weak, and that his soul was deeply troubled, he tried all the harder to drive him to utter misery. "'Think of all your sins,' he said. "'God is very angry with you. You are not worthy to live. It is only just that you should die. Better kill yourself at once.' Then despair went and fetched a dagger, sharp and keen, and gave it to the Red Cross Knight. Trembling like an aspen leaf, the knight took it and lifted up his hand to slay himself. When Una saw this, she grew cold with horror, but starting forward she snatched the knife from his hand and threw it to the ground, greatly enraged. Fie, fie, faint-hearted knight, she cried. What is the meaning of this shameful strife? Is this the battle which you boasted you would fight with the horrible fiery dragon? Come away, come, come away, feeble and faithless man. Let no vain words deceive your manly heart, nor wicked thoughts dismay your brave spirit. Have you not a share in heavenly mercy? Why should you then despair who have been chosen to fight the good fight? If there is justice, there is also forgiveness, which soothes the anguish of remorse and blots out the record of sin. Arise, Sir Knight, arise and leave this evil place. So up he rose, and straightway left the cave. When despair saw this, and that his guests would safely depart in spite of all his beguiling words, he took a rope and tried to hang himself. But though he had tried to kill himself a thousand times, he could never do so, until the last day comes when all evil things shall perish for ever. How the Red Cross Knight Came to the House of Holiness The bravest man who boasts of bodily strength may often find his moral courage fail in the hour of temptation. If he gain the victory, let him not ascribe it to his own skill, but rather to the grace of God. From what had happened in the cave of despair, Una saw that her knight had grown faint and feeble. His long imprisonment had wasted away all his strength, and he was still quite unfit to fight. Therefore she determined to bring him to a place where he might refresh himself and recover from his late sad plight. 
There was an ancient house not far away, renowned through all the world for its goodness and holy learning, so well it was guided and governed by a wise matron. Her only joy was to comfort those in trouble and to help the helpless poor. She was called Dame Celia, the Heavenly Lady, and she had three beautiful daughters, Fidelia, Faith, Sperenza, Hope, and Carissa, Love. Arrived at the house of holiness, they found the door fast locked, for it was warily watched night and day, for fear of many foes. But when they knocked, the porter straightway opened to them. He was an aged man with grey hair and slow footsteps. His name was Humility. They passed in, stooping low, for the way he showed them was straight and narrow, even as all good things are hardest at the beginning. But when they had entered, they saw a spacious court, very pleasant to walk in. Here they were met by a frank, honest-looking man called Zeal, who gladly acted as their guide till they came to the hall. The squire of the household received them and made them welcome. His name was Reverence. He was very gentle, modest, and sincere, always treating everyone with the greatest kindness and courtesy, not from any pretended politeness, but because of his own good and sweet disposition. He conducted them directly to the lady of the house, who was busied as usual in some good works. Directly Dame Celia saw Una, she knew who she was, her heart filled with joy, and she put her arms around her and kissed her. "'Oh, happy earth!' she cried, "'where, where on your innocent feet still tread? "'What good fortune has brought you this way, "'or did you wander here unknowingly? "'It is strange to see a knight-errant in this place, "'or any other man, "'for there are few who choose the narrow path, "'or seek the right.' "'Una replied that they had come to rest their weary limbs, "'and to see the lady herself, "'whose fame and praise had reached them. Then Dame Celia entertained them with every courtesy she could think of, and nothing was lacking to show her generosity and wisdom. Whilst they were talking, two beautiful maidens came in. They were Faith and Hope, the daughters of the lady. Faith was arrayed all in lily-white, and her face shone like the light of the sun. In one hand she held a book. Her younger sister Hope was clad all in blue, and carried a silver anchor. Her face was not as cheerful as Faith's, but it was very noble and steadfast. Presently a servant called Obedience came and conducted the guests to their rooms, in order that they might rest a while. Afterwards Una asked Faith if she would allow the Red Cross Knight to enter her schoolhouse, in order that he might share in her heavenly learning and hear the divine wisdom of her words. So the knight went to school to learn her faith, and many were the wondrous things she taught him. Now he saw in its true light all the errors of his ways, and he began truly to repent of all his wrongdoings. The thought of them was so bitter that he felt he was no longer worthy to live. Then came Hope with sweet comfort, and bade him trust steadily and not lose heart. And Dame Celia, seeing how unhappy he was, sent him to a wonderful doctor called Patience. Thanks to his skill and wisdom, and to the careful nursing of his attendant repentance, the Red Cross Knight presently recovered and grew well and strong again. After this, Una took him one day to visit the third daughter, whose name was Love. 
She was so wonderfully beautiful and good that there were few on earth to compare with her. They found her in the midst of a group of happy children. She wore a yellow robe and sat in an ivory chair, and at her side were two turtle doves. Una besought love to let the Red Cross Knight learn of her whatever she could teach, and to this request love gladly agreed. Then she began to instruct the knight in all good things. She spoke to him of love and righteousness and how to do well, and bade him shun all wrath and hatred which are displeasing to God. And when she had well taught him this, she went on to show him the path to heaven. The better to guide his weak and wandering steps, she called an ancient matron named Mercy, well known for her gracious and tender ways. Into her careful charge love gave the knight to guide in the right path, so that he should never fall in all his journeyings through the wide world, but come to the end in safety. Then Mercy, taking the knight by the hand, led him away by a narrow path. It was scattered with bushy thorns and ragged briars, but these she always cleared away before him, so that nothing might hinder his ready passage. And whenever his footsteps were cumbered, or began to falter and stray, she held him fast and bore him up, so that he never fell. End of section 5